Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. And yes, it is finally here. The near completion of my 75 all-time greatest list. I'm sure you're as relieved and excited as I am. Wait, what was that word before completion? Yeah, near completion. What the hell is that? Let me explain. Remember how in the last episode on this subject, where I filled in the final six names of the 91, 92 to 05, 06 era, and it took me the entire episode to do it? Well, I had 14 spots to fill and quickly discovered that picking them and doing the process justice, as in provide the basis for my thinking, was going to require more than one episode. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to get halfway there. Seven editions in this one, the last seven in the next episode. Before I get to this seven, I wanted to hit two items really quickly that kind of, kind of not are tied in with it. One, it never ceases to amaze me how anything that involves LeBron generates so much interest, even now, after all this time. I've been hearing about LeBron fatigue for years, but I've come to believe it's one of those things people like to complain about rather than really suffer from. It sounds good. Man, I'm tired of hearing about LeBron. Man, Twitter is the worst. Yet we still go on Twitter. Man, the NBA is unwatchable. 
Well, how do you know unless you're watching? Has anyone completely sworn off and not paid attention to the league at all because they're disappointed in the style of play? I don't believe it. My point, if there is LeBron fatigue out there, the Army is getting fresh reinforcements to swap out the tired troops on the regular. It's why sports talk shows and media outlets in general can't resist jumping on any subject that involves him. It's guaranteed big ratings. That, Paul Pierce, is why ESPN asked you to talk about him all the time. Not personal, it's business. Now, don't confuse that with LeBron being the greatest person or player that walked the planet. He draws that attention because he has as many people who consume content and commentary about him because they don't think he's all that and are interested if they're going to find somebody who agrees with them as those who consume content and commentary about him because they do think he's all that and are hoping to hear their hero lauded. I'm just figured I'm just interested in figuring out how much of all that he is and isn't. I haven't quite yet. So I'm probably going to end up talking about him some more at some point. But I have tried to keep my LeBron habit in check. I'd like to believe you come to this podcast to hear about subject story angles and perspectives, as the intro says, that you're not going to hear anywhere else. So you don't need me talking about LeBron every day because you can find that pretty much anywhere else. You're just going to get it here once in a while. The other item I wanted to hit has to do with our increased exposure and access to athletes as a result of many of them creating their own media outlets, live Instagram posts, podcasts, etc. What I've realized is how liberating it is for someone like me who has to speak about them on a regular basis. Rather than see it as cutting into my territory, since once upon a time for them to speak or for the public to get to know them, they needed a media outlet or person as a conduit, I see it as a way for my audience to get a greater feel for exactly who it is I'm talking about. Writers, talk show hosts, analysts, we're also human. When an athlete shows us their human side, the good citizen behind the fierce competitor, it gives us a greater appreciation for who they are and makes it easier to applaud them. Even when that exposure shows their flaws, it helps explain why they are the way they are and the criticism is invariably more measured, less harsh. That's why talk show hosts who want to keep their assessments of athletes or teams starkly yay or nay avoid getting to know their subjects. It's harder to take a strong, fierce, relentless stand on someone when you do. And those talk show hosts fear it will make them look wishy-washy or soft, and they will lose favor with their audience. We all get criticized for a variety of things. It's just a matter of what are the things that we're criticized for that bother us the most. For me, it would be my integrity or my accuracy. For others, it's their firmness, for lack of a better word. Their devout standing or dedication to a particular position. In other words, 
being called a flip-flopper offends them to no end. They want to avoid that at all costs. Me, I don't see it as flip-flopping. If I get new information I'm going to chant that changes my opinion or view, then I'm not going to stand on my original view just so I can say that I never changed my point of view. It does take a bit of evidence for me to do that, but nonetheless, it is possible. And it doesn't bother me if someone accuses me of doing that. Okay, time to seal the deal and finish up our final 15 season. 15 all-time great player era, or at least get halfway through the last era. I gave you LeBron already, so let's continue with the next tier of automatic entries. And that would be Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. You probably don't need to hear KD's resume, but it's worth considering so that as we go down the line and choices become harder... Who gets in and who doesn't will make more sense because of how their resumes hew with the no-doubters. KD had been a nine-time All-NBA selection, first-team six times, a four-time scoring champ, two-time champion, two-time NBA Finals MVP, and a league MVP. He could retire tomorrow and not only be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, But if we were only picking 50 all-time greats over the last 75 years, he would make that list as well. Steph's accolades are just as impressive. They're just of a different sort, more team-oriented than individual, which is reflective of their respective strengths. But it's also a little surprising considering they have the same truly elite skill, which is shooting. Steph is a seven-time All-NBA four-time first-teamer, two-time league MVP, three-time champion, two-time scoring champion. Obviously, missing missing ingredient there that KD has are the finals MVPs. Let's go easy on Steph being the only unanimous league MVP selection and what that means. It doesn't mean he's the greatest MVP ever. It just means there were no voters who had the cojones to pick anybody else. LeBron and Shaq missed that honor by one vote each in different years. Steph's magnificent efficient scoring, averaging a league-high 30.1 points while playing less than 35 minutes a night the year after he won his first MVP, is what earned him that unanimity. It points to the problem with anyone who votes based on a guy winning MVP and then topping that performance. Every player's performance in a season shouldn't be weighed against previous or subsequent seasons unless we're talking about most improved. Take a look at what Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James did in Steph's unanimous MVP season. I would not have had a problem if either of them had received a vote or three. I obviously had Steph at the top of my ballot as well, but I distinctly remember it requiring some thought. He got my vote for the elements that set him apart from KD, his communication and leadership skills, as much as his shooting ability. I remember distinctly thinking, yeah, he's league MVP, but he's probably one of the most unique league MVPs I've ever voted for. Generally, they're two-way players. And 
Steph has never been that. Now, what sets KD apart, aside from his shooting, is the fact that he's practically seven feet tall and plays like a guard. One of his nicknames, Easy Money Sniper, couldn't be more fitting. He is truly a dead eye when it comes to scoring, and he makes it look so easy. And for those of you who are wondering why KD would suggest that Kyrie Irving is more skilled than Steph Curry, and that's a diss, I don't, I can't say that it's not disrespectful to Steph, considering what the two accomplished together and the room that Steph made for KD in order to get that done. But for what KD values, I understand it because it's what KD is as a player. Kyrie's excellence, where Kyrie is more skilled, are the things that KD values the most. The ability to beat guys off the dribble and score. Leadership, the intangibles, communication, just creating a positive culture. Those are things that KD, I don't know whether he takes them for granted or he simply doesn't value them, but those are the things that set Steph apart as much as anything else. And those are things that Kyrie does not have. So KD, looking at the two through a particular prism that he appreciates most and seeing Kyrie being the better of the two makes sense. May not be right, may not be respectful, but it's understandable. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. All right, so the next tier belongs to one man, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It may feel a little bit like Shaq being included among the all-time 50 greatest three years into his career, but it only feels like that. Giannis is eight years into his career, even though he's only 26. It's just that he rocketed to stardom in the last three years. He'd be in as a two-time MVP and simultaneous defensive player of the year one of those seasons, even if he hadn't won this year's championship and been the finals MVP. That just cements that he deserves to be here and that after LeBron, KD, and Steph, no one deserves it more. The next tier is only slightly more populated with two members, Dwayne Wade and Kawhi Leonard. Why are they together and alone on this tier, you ask? Because they won championships with two different teams and were the undisputed best player on at least one. But their individual accolades exposed that they benefited from having some pretty special teammates. And when I say their individual accolades, I mean the limited number of individual accolades that they've received. And I say that Wade won titles with two different teams, even though he won all three of his rings with the Miami Heat, because his first and second title were six years apart and essentially with two completely different teams, different Miami Heat teams. 
They just wore the same uniform. Wade was only in his third year when he won his first title as the young gun surrounded by a host of experienced, in some cases, once upon a time, outstanding vets. Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, Antoine Walker, Alonzo Mourning, Jason White Chocolate Williams. That's a pretty good crew. Wade, throughout his career, was also always one of, as in one of the best players in the league, one of the best shooting guards. He was an all-NBA selection eight times, but only first team twice. He made the all-defensive second team three times as well. And when he did win finals MVP in 2006, it was under the sketchiest of circumstances. I was there, and officiating could not have been more suspect. Every touch foul seemed to go in favor of the Heat. At a time, the Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban was at war with both Commissioner David Stern and the officials, particularly the man in charge of the referees, Ed Rush. You remember that whole couldn't manage a Dairy Queen fiasco, right? Kawhi, in similar fashion, is given more credit for the ring the the Spurs won with him than he probably deserves. Yes, he was finals MVP, but it was his third year in the league, and he wasn't even the team's leading scorer. In the playoffs or regular season, merely its best two-way player with Tim Duncan holding on at 37 and Mono Ginobili at 36. Kawhi was also the young gun on a team of savvy, once-upon-a-time great 30-something vets. Duncan, Manu, Tony Parker, Boris Diaw. Kawhi has made a greater mark on defense than offense, actually, reflected in his two Defensive Player of the Year awards and selection to seven all-defense squads while making only five all-NBA teams. Like Wade, he's been in the conversation for league MVP, but never won it. Which brings us to the last tier and our final two selections in this episode for the last era of all-time greats. And they happen to be former teammates, Chris Paul and James Harden. They are partnered up because they were arguably the best player at their position, counting Harden as a shooting guard, although he has gone back and forth and blurred the line between shooting guard and point guard. But shooting guard for Harden, point guard for Chris Paul. And for a remarkable stretch of time, they were the best at their position and have the individual accolades to show for it. What they haven't done is reach the pinnacle of team success, a championship. And while that does depend on who is around them, in both of their cases, they have been factors in their teams falling short. For Chris Paul, it's been injury or the untimely turnover. For Harden, it has been a woeful shooting night at the exact wrong time or an inability to defend his position. But anyone discounting them for that is not taking into account how many seasons they have been the best. Not one of, but the best at their craft. Six out of seven seasons, Harden has been first team All-NBA. Let me say that again. Six out of seven seasons, Harden has been first team All-NBA. For three seasons in a row, he was the league's leading scorer. And before that stretch of scoring, he won the league's assist title. He also has won both Sixth Man of the Year and the league MVP. 
You may not like the way he dominates the ball, or the way he forced his way out of Houston, or his bag of ruses to get to the free throw line, but you can't question its effectiveness. All of that is annoying, largely because it has worked. Chris Paul has had equal success as a floor general and a two-way threat at point guard. He's a 10-time All-NBA selection, including a stretch where he was first team three years in a row. He has led the league in steals per game six times, including four years in a row. For two two-year stretches, he also led the league in assists. Both his longevity and his sustained excellence for someone listed generously as six feet tall, in part because he's far more powerfully built than his listed 170 pounds, which seems as much of an underestimation as his listed height is, let's say, generous. His personality as a teammate and a competitor is far different than the one you see in Allstate commercials or at the podium after games. I've had teammates, former teammates, literally tell me he is no fun to play with, in spite of the fact that he logs all those assists. And he has been a master manipulator behind the scenes at times. But neither that nor his abbreviated postseason runs are worthy of shortchanging the level of play he has delivered consistently over his 16 seasons. So there is our seven additions to the 0607 to 2021 era. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Dwayne Wade, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, and Chris Paul. They join LeBron leaving us with 68 of our 75 all-time greats selected and seven more to go. And that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, we will, I will, give you the final seven names and we will complete the 75 all-time greats well, well in advance of the 75th anniversary. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.